Crippled Content Creations presents Disability After Dark, the podcast shining a bright light on sex and disability, with your host, Andrew Gerza. Disability After Dark, with Andrew Gerza, shining a bright light on sex and disability. Content warning. The language, content, and discussion found within this episode of Disability After Dark will be explicit. Listener discretion advised. Hello, hello there. Welcome back to a brand new show of Disability After Dark. My name is Andrew Gerza. I am, of course, your disability boyfriend experience. Excited to shine a bright light on sex and disability with you. So, let's get this show started. A couple of weeks ago, I was contacted by a queer news outlet reporter saying they were going to a conference and they were talking about accessible sex spaces. And of course, my name popped up when they started doing their research around accessible sex spaces and queer things. My name came up in their Google search, which it's so awesome sometimes when people find me via Google. It's really weird that my name is a thing there now, but awesome, great, I'm excited that that it is. And they they emailed me and said, I'd like to talk to you about this. I'm putting together this talk, and I'd love your insight. Can I call you? And I was like, all right, well, that's that's cool. So they called me a few weeks ago, and they were like, tell me about your sex party. Tell me about that party you hosted. Tell me all about it. And I initially was like, I gave them the rundown, told them what they were looking for, and we ended up talking actually for an hour and a half almost about about the party and what it meant for the community and why I, why I wanted to be a part of it and what it meant for me and all the all my feelings around it and as I was talking to him I was like I totally wanted to turn this into a podcast I wanted to do this for a while but talking with him brought out a lot of feels I had about this thing and a lot of a lot of memories I had about putting this together that I thought were important to share with the listeners so this episode is called that time I hosted that handicapped orgy. Up until three years ago in 2015, I had heard about sex parties and wild orgies and the like, and at the time, as my work in this field was just kind of starting up and beginning, the idea of going to one of those parties, let alone hosting one, was kind of titillating and was also downright terrifying due to my own brand of disability and awkwardness, which I proudly support now, the idea of going to one of those parties, I was like, that would, that's never going to be me. I'm never going to be a part of that. That's not, that, I, no way. That's, no, no, never, no. I was like staunchly not against it, but really, like, I was personally unsure of it, so I always said, oh, no, I'm not, that, no, I, like, I support you if you, if you do, but I wouldn't, I don't know about it being for me. The awkwardness, even now, saying it, the idea, the awkwardness is like totally front and center because the idea of being in a room where that's happening, while the fantasy's hot, the reality, as you'll hear, is sometimes, you know, a little bit different. Um, And my own brand of disability awkwardness, which again now is my favorite selling point, uh, was, was kind of veering me away from that idea a little bit. So, and I also always thought they were super inaccessible to me as a wheelchair user, which, let's be totally honest, 
Most times they indeed are. So they kind of stay within this, this fantastical ideological space that wasn't really a reality for me in, in any way. And to be honest, ableism also made me wonder, what would I, me, the wheelchair user, the awkward wheelchair user, Andrew, at a sex party? Would I just sit there in my wheelchair while other people fuck around me? Wait. That, let's let that visual sink in. That visual is kind of amazing. Yep, and we're back. That was awesome. Um, well, all of those feelings I had were going to change when I was contacted in 2015, around this time, February 2015, by one of the local sex clubs here in Toronto. They were in no way accessible, and I'm not going to name who they are. They were in no way physically accessible to wheelchair users or to people with mobility devices, and they wanted to hold an event that was inclusive or as inclusive as possible of all bodies, and namely disabled bodies. They reached out to me because I was building a name for myself, and they could see that I had an interest in branding and disability. This is evidenced by all my hilarious monikers and hashtags you might see on my social media, i.e. bear in a chair, ableism isn't sexy, kiss a queer cripple, all the things you've seen me do on social media. I really like branding disability and making it kind of a, a brand and a fun, sexy brand. So they saw that in me and were like, we want to talk to you about this thing and finding a way to, to brand a, a sex party around disability, which I was, you would think I was initially, I would jump at the chance to do this given what, given the work I do and my, my want to explore sexuality and disability more. And although I almost immediately said, fuck yes, I'm in, there was a small part of me that worried how this might be perceived by the rest of the world. And as you'll hear again as we go through this episode, my fears were not necessarily unfounded. By the time I was brought on for this project, the club was looking for a name for the event. They started out with names like Accessibility, which I highly would not recommend doing when you're hosting a sex party. Please don't connect. I'm going to say this is my personal pet peeve. Please don't connect access to disability all the time. I realize it's a big part of the conversations we have, but can we come up with something a little bit sexier? And can we use terms that have disability in the title? So I was really not into accessibility, and I had to immediately veto that one and say, no, no, please don't use that. Um, and I wanted us to to get away from weird puns or iterations on access. So I always think we should name events around disability using disabled, crip, gimp, etc. Titles that we have reclaimed to make events fun and edgy and fun like that. But using accessibility was not edgy to me in any way. So I, I was like, let's call it what it is and center these experiences. So we landed on the name Deliciously Disabled. If you recognize the name, that was the old brand that I used to run, Deliciously Disabled. I love the name because it's just a little bit sexy, it's a little bit edgy, it's a little bit dirty. Some people used to think that Deliciously Disabled was about food, uh, but it was, I mean, and in, in some ways, if you eat ass the right way, it could be about food, but uh, or other body parts the right way, it could totally be about food, but it wasn't meant to be. It was meant to be just be a little bit dirty and a little bit playful, and I, I love... 
I still, even though I don't use that brand anymore, I love it so much. So, so much. So now that we had a uh, name for the event, we needed a venue. The club had been searching for months and months, and we had had trouble finding a venue that was actually accessible. Now, I put an asterisk beside accessible because many of the venues that we looked at before we landed on our, on our venue were accessible in the sense that you could get a wheelchair in the room. But that's the only extent of accessibility they ever looked at, and we all wanted them to go a little bit deeper into their ideas of what accessibility meant, and none of them seemed to know how to do that. And there were also, and then, I mean, once we explained the accessibility needs, we also then tried to explain that, hey, people might want to have sex at this party. This is a sex-positive kind of play event. Uh, We'd like to know if if somebody could have sex at the party. And that's when the venue started um, being really kind of kind of standoffish and be like, oh, 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 no, no. We looked at every, we looked at so many places. I spent hours emailing and calling hotels, conference centers, and places outside the city center, and no one was willing to accommodate us. And usually that was before I mentioned that cripples might get naked on the premises. And once I mentioned there might be some, uh, some gimpy nudity, people freaked the fuck out. And we're like, nope, sorry, nope. Having more than one mobility device was me- was more than many of them could even handle. If I said, hey, there's going to be more than one like wheelchair user or one more than one mobility device, people did not know how to handle that. There's a lot more to come on this episode of Disability After Dark. But first, we're going to play some ads from our awesome sponsor and some great listeners. So... We'll do that and we'll be right back on Disability After Dark, the podcast shining light on sex and disability with your host, Andrew Gerza. This episode of Disability After Dark has been brought to you by the worker owners of Come As You Are. Come As You Are has the peculiar distinction of being the world's only worker-owned cooperative sex shop. With feminist and anti-capitalist values, Come As You Are only carries sexuality products that they truly believe in at the lowest price possible. Get free shipping at www.comeasyouare.com using coupon code AFTERDARK. Hey there, Disability After Dark listeners. Just before we get back to the show, and I know you cannot wait to get back to this awesome show about the orgy. I know you're all excited to hear more about it. But before we do that, my friend Dick Wound, who you may have heard on episode six on episode sixty-eight point one, fuck me till my heart stops, of this awesome podcast. And he I was also on his show, Off the Cuffs, talking about kink, sex and disability. He just texted me and was like, I want you to put would you mind, my dear friend, to put a promo for my new podcast on your show. And I was like, of course, you're amazing. Everything you do is great. Of course, I want to support you because you've supported me. And I love the fact that us as podcasters and creators can support each other. So he sent me a five-minute clip of his of his new show called Being There, a look at, at people's extraordinary lives and the things they do or extraordinary things they do in their ordinary lives or something I can't remember what the promo is, but it's really cool. I'm going to play the promo now. Have a listen. Subscribe to his show. Here it is. 
Hi everyone, this is Dick from Off the Cuffs, a kink and BDSM podcast. And this is a little five minute preview of my new podcast called Being There. Welcome to Being There, a podcast devoted to exploring the extraordinary aspects of everyday people's lives. I'm Dick. And I'm Kelly, and this is episode one, Being in a Cult. What's so interesting is that this is a part of your life that I know about, but I know very, very little about. Well, I was I was just a kid when it happened, so I don't know how, how great I'm going to be talking about it. It's all right, just, you know, we'll just get into what you remember and... Okay go from there all right yeah i mean i guess i guess for this one we should mm-hmm. just kind of like right out of the gates just be yeah. like so you were born into a cult i was born into a cult <laughs> yes uh that's very true uh my parents were followers of the bhagwan Sri rajneesh who is then known as the bhagwan Sri rajneesh is currently known as osho even though he's been dead since the 80s yeah uh the osho organization is still active unfortunately but um and um yeah, so I my parents were members of this cult before I was born, and uh, I was born with my, you know, I have an actual birth legal name that's on my birth certificate and my driver's license, and I think my parents always kind of had some foreshadowing that <laughs> this would not be forever, because thankfully the name on my you know, birth certificate is not Swami Anand Virajana, um, <laughs> which was the name I went by for the first nine years of my life. Yeah, um, that's a long time. Yeah, very, mm. and the formative years too, where yeah, you really exactly. connect with that name. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Did your parents meet in the cult, or did they no, join it together? They joined it together. Uh, okay. My parents were like, you know, hippies, and they 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 had tried a bunch of different stuff. They had followed other Indian gurus. Um, I. Th- think Scientology because my dad was an actor in New York in the 70s so probably Scientology was in there for a little bit it makes mm. sense yeah. very popular things to go together right. there are you know uh, uh, other like I said other Indian gurus and like Eastern philosophies um, but uh, yeah so they were right can you can you give us a little bit of the background of the cult I'm, I'm sure I was gonna say I'm pretty familiar with a lot of cults because mm-hmm. that's the weird things I'm interested in but I want to hear about this. All right. Well, if you were uh, cognizant in the 80s, you probably remember uh, this cult. This was the commune in Oregon where everybody wore red um, and, you know, waved at the Rolls Royces that uh, followers had bestowed on the leader. Um, (laughs) And um, uh, so the leader was this Indian immigrant who called himself the Bhagwan Sri Rajneesh. I don't remember his actual legal name. Um, who had this philosophy of like free love and uh, the idea that the world was going to end. I wouldn't say we were a doomsday cult per se, but there was always this uh, underwriting philosophy that uh, the world was going to end, but the followers would be safe because they knew the one true path. Mm-hmm. Um But it wasn't like, like uh, Jonestown or um, Hellbop where they were like, um, preparing for that you know it was just enough right. if you lived in Oregon or in the ashram in India you'd be safe uh, but it was like this this weird mix of Indian philosophy it was a lot of what's funny is um, 
people will still be there are people that are still critical of the actual practice of the cults as rightly so who will say that he did write some of the definitive uh, the definitive guides on medic uh, meditation um the Skepticopedia actually suggests that you shoplift his books on meditation because they're good meditation guides, but you shouldn't give money to the Osho organization. <laughs> um, so if you liked what you heard, uh, please subscribe to the show now. Uh, we have a five-minute trailer episode, which is just me and Kelly talking about why we started the podcast. And episode one, which is the little clip that you just heard, will be out on March 1st. Uh, you can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Podcast Addict, Podbean, Pocket Cast, and we will be on many, many more players. We're updating those uh, right now. Uh, you can also go to our Twitter or Instagram at BeingTherePod, and you can check out a link in our profile. There's a directory to more players that we're on. Um, thanks. Good night. Welcome back. I want to thank our sponsor, Come As You Are, for supporting this show. It's amazing that they do. I also want to thank everybody who pledged to the Patreon page. Before I forget and go any further, the Patreon page, we've changed our rewards because I wanted to make the page as accessible as possible. And I was finding that having $5 rewards and $2 rewards and then $10 rewards and $20 rewards... Well, it's, it seemed really cool. It wasn't financially accessible to the audience that I'm speaking to, typically disabled people who have sometimes financial accessibility issues. I certainly do. So I wanted to make it as accessible as possible. And so we've changed the Patreon pledging to $1 a month. That's all you have to spend. That's the only reward there is. And it will give you access to every single reward that's available. When I release an episode early, when I release a blog post, when I release other stuff that I want to do with the podcast or things you can tell me what you want me to release. Whenever I release anything, if you pledge $1 a month, you'll have access to it because I wanted to make that as accessible to you as possible. Very quickly, also I'm in search of another financial sponsor. If you know of any companies or if anybody listening works for a company who'd like to partner with Disability After Dark, the podcast Shining a Bright Light on Sex and Disability, let me know. Please send me an email. I'd be happy to send you a press kit about the show, uh, some stats about the show to see if maybe we could work together. So you can send me an email at andrewandandrewgerza.com and I'd love to maybe work with you. Okay, now back to the show. So after searching and searching and being rejected a lot by many different venues and many different places saying they couldn't handle an event like this and they couldn't fathom it even happening, one of the flagship staple theaters in Toronto's Gay Village agreed to host us. This was absolutely amazing and I, rem I remember going to do a walkthrough in probably early March I think of that year and not even believing this was happening, looking at this space going, holy fuck we're gonna have a sex party here, we're gonna have a sex party here, wow, wow, okay, wow. Um, 
And I remember wa- going through the space and looking at the space in my wheelchair with my mobility device and thinking the space wasn't the most accessible for me as a wheelchair user. But as with anything disability related, we'd have to make do. And we were super happy that they wanted to have us at all and wanted to do this event with us at all. So we weren't going to we weren't going to scoff at it. We were going to do our best. The club that hosted us, the um, the venue that hosted us, took on a huge risk by having us, and I'll talk about that more in a minute. As we continued the planning stages, we started. We had to start looking at promotion, promoting the event, who we would speak to, how it would be understood by the media. This would take on epic proportions. One of the local papers here, who I will not name, ran with a story that the party was a, quote, handicapped orgy, end quote, months prior to the event. And this sent us and our team into high gear in ways I had never, ever been expecting. It was like the fastest, most quickest, spread like wildfire moment with both good and bad results for this event. It was It really put us on the map in ways I don't think any of us were ready for. That moniker, Handicapped Orgy, got us everywhere. Papers, radio, news outlets from around the world started calling and emailing and asking us for interviews, many of which I fielded because I was now one of the key faces of this event. The picture for our promo was me sitting in my wheelchair with the naked with the word cripple on a hat on my junk if you follow my work you've seen this picture a number of times i'll post it in the show notes in case you haven't but it's a pretty prominent photo now which i'm very proud of but we used that photo and now it's kind of become it was the 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 center of that event did that event so so i had to feel all these interviews and it was again it spread like wildfire in ways that i wasn't ready for I want to talk about the media attention we receive for a minute because I think it's important to bring to light society's ableism around sexuality and disability. The papers ran with the story, the same stories again and again, saying that we were hosting this massive orgy and these these this story went all over the world. We had papers from England, New Zealand, everywhere, Australia, everywhere went all over the world really fast. We kept trying to correct them and saying that it wouldn't be this giant orgy and that's not what we were trying to do necessarily. But at the same time, we needed the, uh, we needed this kind of press to bring attention to the issue. So it was kind of a double-edged sword. I did my very best to run with it and we did our very best to kind of keep it to keep it as professional as possible. One of the hardest types of interviews that I did for this event in the planning for this event was getting calls from rock jock, shock jock morning radio hosts that got a hold of the story. They kept wanting to make a joke of the event, saying things on morning radio like, are you all going to get frisky in your wheelchairs? In you know, that super condescending ableist tone that they do. It was really, that was, and that happened almost daily. I would field three or four calls where I would speak to producers or speak to on-air personalities who would talk like that about the event like it was not this real thing that was happening. 
which again highlights ableism because they made a huge mockery of it. Um, and also, in some small way, I was complicit to this type of ableism and these type of ableist comments at the time because you want to be amenable, amenable and not make it so serious. But there were points that made all the media attention that, that we were getting super, super difficult. I remember one show, one morning radio show in New Zealand called us and they reached out and said, you know, their production sent us a very nice email saying, we'd love to have you on our show to talk about this event. Would you be available this time and this time? And we said yes. So I remember we got on the show and they it started out okay. But then they actually said on the air, on live morning morning radio, they said, if you have amputees there, will someone fuck their stumps? I was completely dumbfounded. I didn't know what to do. I remember they also asked if we were in wheelchairs, how would we get somebody off? This was again on live morning radio in New Zealand. And I was just like, what the fuck did you just say live to your listeners? Like, wow. Okay. I mean, this was not a podcast where you actively subscribe to someone's, you know, thoughts like this did, like this show is. But this was like live public radio that where you sh- cannot say stuff like that. And that's just not, not, I mean, you shouldn't even say it in a podcast. But it's just not appropriate. And I couldn't believe that we were hearing this. I remember we cut that interview short because we were so hurt by what we heard. I remember at one point during the interview saying to the to the on-air personality, are we done here? Are we finished? And hanging up the phone because I couldn't believe that that's what, how, how dare you? Why would you put it that way? Wow. Um... I think, again, the media response like that really highlighted that the shock and awe people had around sex and disability, like this thing shouldn't ever happen, and that just shows the deep-seated ableism that we share when we talk about disability and when we dare to bring something that is theory into reality. And this party, the idea of a disabled sex sex party, lived in theory for a long time, and now we dare to bring it out, and that was scaring the fuck out of people. All the media attention, you know, the media attention even got bigger. Howard Stern from the Howard Stern Show, the BBC, and other major outlets reached out to us and said, we want to come and record the event. We want to come and film the event. We put a stop to that right away and said, if you're coming to make a mockery or an overt spectacle of this event, we cannot have you here. And I remember Howard Stern's people, hey, Howard, if you're listening, tried to... (laughs) Howard Stern's people tried to reach out to us like three or four times and promised us in that weird smarmy producery sort of way that they wouldn't, this was not a mockery, they were trying to do it respectfully, blah, blah, blah. But we, something in our gut, in my gut especially, said, you know, this is not okay. We can't, we can't have this here. They're going to make fun of us and we don't want that. I will say this too. All of the media attention also had an adverse effect on the work I was trying to do as a consultant at the time. I remember that I had, spo- I had some speaking opportunities booked around that time. And all of the people that were booking me knew that I worked in sexuality and disability. And they knew what I spoke on. And all of them canceled their gigs because, as one organization put it, 
we don't want to be associated with a brand like this. And I remember thinking, um, okay, but you know I work in sex and disability. Again, that shows the institutional ableism around institutions that want to talk about sexuality and disability and, and want you to peddle your wares, for lack of a better term, to, to do the work for them as a presenter. But the idea of bringing it into real life and really, truly having an event that actually celebrates what we talk about when we get up there on during a presentation and doing the work is too much to for people to handle. I remember there was also some considerable backlash from the disabled community itself. And I saved one of the emails because I found it kind of really odd and hilarious at the time. At the time, I was super offended, but that was three years ago. So now I can kind of look at it with a little bit of a grain of salt. But I found it really so... It, <laughs> I mean, well, let me just read it to you. It's titled... Your new agenda, and this is what came in my inbox in the midst of planning, and this was on June 21st, 2015, so I was in the midst of planning this thing, I had no time for this, and this is an email that I got to my, to my personal email box at the time. It says, I live in Toronto, I'm paralyzed, and basically I will tell you what I stated over Twitter, I guess they sent me a Twitter note or something. What I stated over Twitter, because you have no idea how brainwashed you and your you are and offensive you are to even think that this is a good way when Toronto Lynnhurst Center, which is a rehab center, by the way, um, and others are dealing with the situation of sex and disability in a much more dignified, honorable way, rather than the outrageously degenerate, debauched way this is being done, seeing as how the sodomite community has something to do with this. Okay, obviously, person was homophobic. All right, we got this. If you are a disabled person in a wheelchair, then you have been totally deceived in how offensive this is to me and all the other majority of paralyzed people who can't even feel their bodies but pain, much less their private parts. And then the person goes on to use the hashtag deliciously disabled, which was a big hashtag we had at the time. Hashtag deliciously disabled. Taxpayer money should not be going to outrageously d degenerate sex parties in the city of Toronto. It goes on and on like that. Taxpayer money shouldn't be funding an orgy. It should be fined. It goes on to say in capital letters and bold. It was super. This person was super not excited by this event at all. Um, uh, you have lost your mind with like 27 exclamation points. I will not take... <laughs> I will not take this false, seriously offensive, de-dignifying campaign as, a, as attempting to help disabled, but rather show how absolutely debauched and de degenerate the minds are behind this when taxpayer dollars should be used to fund equipment for disabled since it's already insanely difficult enough to get proper equipment under social assistance without having to wait and jump through all the hoops to get better mobility devices. So... Really, and the email goes, I, I could read you more. It goes on for another paragraph, and I'll read you, I'll read you some parts that I found really funny. Uh, I'm a man for the love of God. I have dignity. I'm not a sex object. Disabled people are not sex objects. Of course, only the sodomite agenda 
would consider such a brainless, senseless, offensive, repulsive, abhorrent, disgusting, repugnant idea that is totally selfish under the mask of, quote, helping the disabled, end quote, when clearly one must be super perverted and corrupted in mind to use tax dollars to fund orgies in, in Toronto. You are a corrupted criminal. This isn't over. You will see God one day when you die, and then it will be too late to change your mind when the God and the only God that knows all shows you what you missed, and then you are going to feel eternally stupid for being so pig-headed and carnal for letting your flesh desires lead you instead of higher spiritual moral platitudes. And since you didn't let yourself be led like that, you will be shown how much you hurt other people in the process of your sodomite agenda under the mask of disability sex acceptance. You are a sick man. This isn't over. I pray you repent and come out of your gross, disgusting offense to so many disabled people who do not think like you, since your view is but a small minority within the disabled community, quite, quite small, and to impose such an agenda on the majority of the community of disabled people under such dishonest pretenses is absolutely corrupt, rotten to the core. I am livid. This isn't over. Okay, so that's his, that's his email in entirety. That's what I had to, that's what I opened my inbox to one day. And I remember getting this email and thinking, holy, like, holy shit. I I mean, I guess we've made it because the religious right disabled people are now attacking us. I guess we're now a thing. Like, I was, I was at first really kind of offended for a minute. And then I was like, oh, (laughs) oh, I'm, look, look, look what I've done. I'm proud of this. This is awesome. This is like really, I made it. But it just shows you how deeply unprepared even I think the disabled community was to to know an event like this was happening. Just before I get to what happened at the event, I want to say we also had amazing people. We had a shit ton of support as well from volunteers, well-wishers, and we had disabled people at this event from all over the world come to experience this with us. We had people from who flew in just from Florida, from New York, from Africa, from Vancouver. We had people from all over the world show up, up for this. It was it was the 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 level of hate mail and weirdness paled in comparison to the number of people who supported an event like this. It was just incredible. It was really incredible. And so I remember the night of the event, I was absolutely mortified. I remember my friend, who was my attendant at the time, getting me ready, and I didn't speak for like 35 minutes, and she was like, are you okay? And I was like, no, I'm really scared. What the fuck is going on? This is happening. Oh, wow. Like, because I had never been to a sex party, let alone, you know, hosted one that was like now garnering worldwide attention. I had no idea what the fuck to expect. I was terrified. And the awkward disabled kid that I talked about earlier was there and was very much present at this thing kind of being like "Ooh, i want to just hide in a corner and i maybe want to suck some dick privately but i don't know how to feel about any of this like whoa i was mortified i had no idea i remember before before getting ready properly i walked around toronto that day with a harness on not quite knowing how to feel about any of this and thinking holy fuck this is actually happening this is actually going down what do i do um I remember pulling up in in the paratransit bus that night around 6 o'clock for setup and seeing 
Disabled people lined up around the block. Wheelchairs, walkers, people with prosthetics. It was honestly one of the most beautiful and inclusive things I'd ever seen. The club literally had people from the door all the way around the neighborhood. And they were all in mobility devices ready to do this. It was literally one of the most exciting, inclusive, most groundbreaking, spectacular views I've ever seen. I remember that once the event had started and I was inside running around getting ready and I was doing photos and smiling and doing my job, I was working really hard. It was one of the hardest nights I've worked as a consultant ever because I wanted to make sure that people were having a good time and I was like, oh my god, this is a big deal. So I was running around doing that and being, you know, trying to also be sexy and playful all at the same time, which when you're working and you want to make out with everybody that walks by you, it's it's super it's super like you you have to really focus because there were some people that i wanted to be like can we just go over here and do things but no i had to work but so as i was doing that somebody came up to me with tears in their eyes somebody a wheelchair user came up to me with tears in their eyes looked me dead in the face and said i've wanted and needed this for so long thank you so much and i that broke me i literally had to take a minute and like go in the corner of the event space with my harness on and like have a giant cry because it just it was so affirming to know that we were doing something this important um and i remember getting up on stage to be introduced by the club and seeing the sea of people with mobility devices walkers prosthetics their aids it was some of the most beautiful things i had ever i just had never seen so many people in a room supporting sexuality and disability and it was just beautiful it was really i've never seen anything like it and even as i write this and i i talk this into the podcast mic i have a teary i'm having a teary moment there a teary twinkle in my eye one of my favorite moments of the event that i'll never forget and i'll i don't i don't know if i'll ever have replicated i got my first and only lap dance um brent ray frazier who is a really famous uh, naked penis painter person, creator. He's a, he's a creator out of BC and he paints amazing stuff with his penis. And I contacted him during the planning of the event and said, would you please, please come to our event? And at first he was like, all right, well, let me see what I can do. I'm not sure. Once he heard that it was, quote, a disabled orgy, he was like, I will be there. I'm going to fly down on my own just for you. I'll be there. No problem. So this man is just... He is the epitome of, if you're attracted to male-identified people who, who identify as men, he is the epitome of that, and he he's a beautiful specimen of human being, and he said, I'm going to do a surprise for you when I get there, and I was like, all right, sure, great. So what he decided to do was to dress up like Hugh Jackman's Wolverine and give me a lap dance, and I must tell you... I talk about sex a lot. I talk about sex I've had a lot. But the, I was the most nervous. You've never seen me had more fun. This guy was on top of me, gyrating his hips with his big, giant cock. I gotta say, it was huge. It was huge. And I remember as he's doing it, he's whispering things to me like, oh my god, this is so amazing. You're doing such a great thing. Thank you so much. Like As he's trying to like do a show on me, it was... The most fun I've ever had in a, in a public sexual space. <laughs> and I can't thank him enough for it. Um, 
But I remember he also said, you know, are people here enjoying themselves? And I think people were so kind of like surprised this was happening. I don't think people knew how to quite react to all, everything they were seeing. Um, I definitely want another lap dance, though. So if anybody wants to give me a lap dance at maybe a club or a party or something, let me know. I'm totally down for that. With consent, we'll, oh, I had a spasm and I almost broke the mic. With consent and with, you know, obviously we're going to talk about it. If you want to give me a lap dance and you're down for that, I'm more than down for a lap dance. Um, I got the sense that the, some of the disabled people there weren't expecting quite the orgiastic atmosphere that we were trying to give them. And I think a few... Oh, no. Th- sorry. I mis- I mistyped that. I think they were expecting more of an orgiastic atmosphere than we had right away. So I think some may have been disappointed. They think they were expecting, like, people in their wheelchairs fucking immediately, which wasn't necessarily what we were trying to do. And that's why the term handicapped orgy became so controversial, because we were really just trying to create a space that was that celebrated sexuality and disability, and it wasn't really this eyes-wide-shut kind of Stanley Kubrick sex party deal. Okay, so I'm so proud of that event. I am so proud of what we did, so proud of what it said to the community and the things that we could accomplish with this one event that kind of overtook the world. But when I tried launching the event again a year later, we barely got any ticket sales or interest. We got literally 12 ticket sales within three weeks out of the out of the event. 12. Like, wow. When we were, like, sold out weeks before in the first event. Um, this highlights the way, at least it highlights for me, the way we consume sex and disability. And it has to come with a, quote, shock value. End quote, and there are ableist issues around that and how that is accepted. I don't know if I would do it again. The pressure, the stress, and the ableism that I had to experience during that time, while it was exciting, it was also it also took its toll. It really took its toll. Other organizations have asked me to help them run similar events in their cities, which I would be happy to do. Cough, cough. If you want to hire me to be a consultant on events like that, let me know. Um... But obviously, go to the disabled people in your city first before you approach me, because that's just what you should do. Uh, I'd be happy to look at it, but it does take a village to run stuff like this. And an event like this takes on a life of its own, and we need to be ready for that. I think I never realized how much of a life it would take on and how much work it would be, how much emotional labor would be involved too, but... I'm really happy we did it, and I wanted to share that experience with you on the podcast. Just before I end a few notes, I wanted to let you know that I am creating mini-sodes from your experiences, so what I'm asking you to do is to write letters about your experiences as a disabled person around sexuality, tell me a funny story, tell me things you hate, tell me stuff you don't like, and send this to me directly in an email, and I will read it back to you on 10 to 15-minute minisodes that I'm creating for Disability After Dark, where I share your stories. This is a way for us in the community to connect with each other via this podcast. It's not just me talking about me all the time. It also allows for people who are shy and don't necessarily want to be a full-fledged guest on the program to have a voice. 
It also, and the most important part, I think, allows for individuals with varying levels of communication disabilities or issues, maybe speaking, to write in their thoughts and have their thoughts conveyed to the audience. And I think that's really, really important. So if you want to be part of a Minnesota, which I hope you all do because they're amazing, if you want to be part of a Minnesota, please send me your funny stories, your thoughts, your ideas, your feelings around sexuality, disability, or just disability in general, send them to me at andrew at andrewgerza.com using the subject line Minnesota. Thanks for listening, and we'll be back for another episode soon. Alright, so that's another episode of Disability After Dark, and I want to thank you so much for shining a bright light on sex and disability with me. If you want to follow my work, you can head over to www.andrewgerza.com. If you love the show and you're listening to us on iTunes, please, please, please rate and review us so more people can find the show. You can also follow Disability After Dark on all the socials. On Twitter, we're at DisAftDark. That's D-I-S-A-F-T-D-A-R-K-P-O-D on Twitter. Or, of course, you can follow me directly at Andrew Gerza or on Facebook at Facebook.com slash DisabilityAfterDark. If you want to support the program, you can do so via Patreon. As little as $1 a month helps me keep this show going, and I can't thank you enough for all your support. You can pledge at patreon.com slash disabilityafterdark. Copyright Notice Disability After Dark was presented, created, and produced by Andrew Gerza and Crippled Content Creations with music by Chris Ujiuchi. Any and all materials, including graphics, audio recordings, and music, are property of the owner and cannot be used or distributed without express permission. Copyright, Crippled Content Creations, 2018.